Uh, we've had ministers on who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are, you are going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, yeah. you ain't. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. And I think it's a cop-out to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything to well, help What people. if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? You know, I, I just, I'm very careful about saying who and would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. I think only God. you believe you have to believe in Christ. I so believe. They're wrong, aren't they? Well, people? I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches. And from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God can judge a person's heart. I've spent a lot of time in India with my father. And, uh, you know, I don't know all about their religion. But I know they love God. And I don't know. I'd have to, you know, I've seen their sincerity. So I don't know. I just, I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. But Phoenix, Arizona. Hello. Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joel, Joel for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way that the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then that's what you was not going to happen. No, I... I well, you can't. well, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart. And so, I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches. And I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be believe the believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But For someone who doesn't share it. Well, it is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So you make no judgment on anyone? No, but I... About atheists? No, I just, you know what? I'll let, I let someone, let, I'm going to let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell. And I just, again, I present the truth. And I say it every week, you know, I believe it's a relationship with Jesus. But, you know what, I'm not going to go around telling everybody else if, if they don't want to believe that that's going to be their choice god's got to look at your own heart god's got to look at your heart and only god knows that all right so so uh some of you may be fans of pastor joe osteen um if you are uh that's okay we could talk about that another time um but the reason i wanted you to see that video clip is because there's a couple things that as we talk about a hijacked worldview which is where the culture has started to creep into the church, there are some concerning things that we need to discuss. And, and, and today's topic is universalism. And what you, what you heard pretty clearly taught by what he refused to say, and then what he did say, what you heard pretty clearly taught by, by Pastor Osteen there was this idea that, and it has its roots in humanism that we talked about last week, but this idea that sincerity is enough. That as long as you believe that you're right, then that's enough to make you right. You know, you heard him say, well, I think my way's right, but I'm not going to tell other people that their way's wrong because they're sincere. He even went so far as to suggest that, that people that were worshiping other gods and other religions were worshiping God. Now, the problem with that 
The problem with that thinking, even atheists, you heard Larry King, by the way, that's Larry King. That was like a five, six year old interview. Um, that's not new. That's, that's been around for a while. Um, but you, you heard Larry King ask several times about what about Jews? Because he is one. So you, you heard him ask, do Jews need to believe in Jesus to be saved? And the pastor of the largest church in this nation with a footprint because of his TV and radio and print media following refused to say, yes, you need to know Jesus. Why? Because it's unpopular. Because it's unappealing. Because if I say, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, what that means is I'm telling you that you're wrong and that your way isn't right. And that unless you get right with God through Jesus, then you're going to miss out on salvation and heaven. This is a big deal. It's not one we can sidestep. But the problem is, in our world, universalism has become a major belief even in the church. The idea that if you are sincere in your faith, God will honor it. It's the idea that all religions are leading to the same God. That Allah and Yahweh are the same. And that all religions will get you to the same God. Right? That um, Nemo, who watches Nemo? Like finding Nemo? Like all drains lead to the ocean? Like it doesn't matter what the drain is. If you get in the drain, you'll end up in the ocean. Go home and watch Nemo. It's awesome. It's a great movie. Right? Um, but here's the deal, right? We, we tend to believe that about faith. He obviously believes that about faith. That all religions are pointing to the same God. That if you're sincere you will be fine. And it goes, universalism in the church goes a step further when we say, well, God wouldn't really send a sincere person to hell just because they believed wrong. And so then we have this weird idea. We think, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in America and because my parents were Christians and they taught me that the Bible was true and they taught me these things because I happened to get lucky and have the right parents and so now I believe this and I get to go to heaven and somebody else who wasn't lucky enough to be born here where we have freedom and somebody else who wasn't lucky enough to have parents who taught them that the Bible was true and took them to church now they're going to go to hell because they didn't have the same parents I did and we start to think so maybe it's not about Jesus maybe it's about sincerity of heart and I get that that is appealing that's appealing for me. I'll tell you why it's appealing for me. It's appealing for me because there are people in my life that I love dearly who don't believe in Jesus and don't follow Jesus, and I so want them to be in heaven with me. But just because it's appealing to me doesn't mean that it's true. And we're going to talk about that as we get into this this morning, and we're going to deal with it from a couple of different angles, but here's what I want you to know. This matters. Christian, it matters a lot. Because it's not just about what you believe. When, you know, the idea that, well, yeah, I believe Jesus is the way, but I'm not telling other people what they should believe. No, 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 no. Listen, there is way too much at stake to not want to hurt somebody's feelings. The world is religious. 
84% of the world's population believes in some kind of God or gods. 84% of the world's almost 7 billion people believe in some kind of God. 2.2 billion are Christians. By the way, for those of you that thought you were the lucky ones, like, oh, it's only here in our rural Iowa area where people all believe. No, no, there's 2.2 billion of us across the globe that claim Christ. 1.6 billion Muslims. That means over half of the population of the world worships either the God of the Bible or the God of the Quran. People are religious. People believe in a God. The question that we have to wrestle with with universalism is will all of those different paths get you to the same place? Because that's what's being taught. That's the worldview that's hijacking the church. Even the church here in Vinton. You could visit any number of churches. Well, not any number. I mean, there's a certain number. Uh, we'll talk about it another time. But you could visit several churches here in Vinton, and you could be taught this truth, that sincerity matters. What you believe is as important as long as you're sincere as what I believe. It's as right as what I believe as long as you're sincere in your heart. And so we see these popping up all over the country. Chrislam, the first church of Chrislam. Today's message, move over Jesus, Muhammad's moving in. Allah blesses you, our dear Muslim brothers and sisters. So what's happening is in our culture, we're starting to deal with this universalistic thought right, that says all religions are the same and they're going the same place. We, we see it on these, these fancy coexist bumper stickers. Said this first service, um, I'll give you the same invitation. Uh, you know when we all go out to the parking lot, we're all going to be looking at each other's cars. If you have one of these on your car, I get that it was done with good intention. We won't, go ahead, we'll wait. Go take it off. Do it later. Um, we, won't we, we, we won't wait. Um, here's the problem. This is a fine idea. If I take the idea of coexist to mean this, hey, you and I are going to believe differently, but we can still be civil to each other. We can still live together. We can still talk to one another, and we can still be good human beings together. Okay, fine. But that's not what this means. What this means is that these ideologies all belong together. And that your way is right for you and my way is right for me. And hey, as long as we're sincere and you do it your way and I do it my way, at the end, we'll all get there together. The problem with that is that it's completely unbiblical. It's nice and it would be great if it were true. If it were true, then I wouldn't, you know, listen. If it were true, then, then we would be able to feel differently about, about missions we would feel differently about the work of the church. We would feel differently about who we partner with. If it, were, if it were true, we would be able to operate differently. But here's the problem. The Bible is so clear. Look what it says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, look, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Get this now. It's not just an ACDC song. Jesus said it first. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide because many choose to go that way. 
But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult, and few ever find it. Eighty-four percent of the world, just because they're sincere, are not on their way to God in heaven for all of eternity. The highway to hell is broad, and a lot of people travel it. But the pathway to heaven is narrow. So we've got to deal with this today as we talk about how universalism is coming into the church and what it is that we need to do about it. We've got to figure out how to wrestle and fight here. How do we understand this? Okay? And, and, and what I'm going to tell you is that we're going to talk a little bit less about why Jesus is the only way. By the way, in case you weren't clear where we stand on this, um, Jesus is the way. Right? We'll, we'll see it in a minute. He's going to tell us. But before we talk about why we can understand that Jesus, I, we're going to start talking about the Bible. Because I am very confident that if we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, if we believe the Bible is the absolute truth, not written by um, just human hands, but written by the Holy Spirit of God, if we believe that, then there is no way we can sincerely believe, as Pastor Osteen stated, that we can't know who's going to be in heaven. No, we know because the Bible is clear. It won't be atheists. I know atheists, and I, 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 there are atheists that I love. But unless they decide that the God of the Bible and they submit to Jesus Christ, they're going to end up in hell. Listen, this is a big deal. We have to be so clear about this because it's not for us to decide. God decides. We talked last week as the creator of everything, God sets the standard. If this is absolutely true, if this is the word of God, then we must believe that atheists will end up in hell no matter how sincere and good they might be. If we believe that this is the absolute truth, if we believe that what God says in here is real, that it's written by God, then we have to believe that those who worship the God of Islam, that they're going to end up in hell. That the well-meaning Jehovah's Witness folks that knock on your door on Fridays, that they're going to be in hell. That people that I know and love and care about deeply because they reject Jesus are going to be in hell. People that you know, love, and care about deeply, because they reject Jesus, they're going to be in hell. Guys, this is too big for us to, to not come together. We can't let this worldview get hijacked. We must know what's there. So we start with this. If this is true, then Jesus is the only way to God. So a logical question for you to ask is, okay, Matt, why should I believe that this is true? Why should I believe that the Bible is true? Because here's the deal. There are a lot of religions, right? There are a lot of religions. And most of those religions have their own religious text. They have their own sacred scriptures. And what we're saying is the Bible is from God. Those other religious texts are garbage. And you're like, Matt, how can you say that? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we can say that and why we get to believe that. And first, let me tell you about this book that we're talking about. In case you didn't know, the Bible has some credibility 
before we even start talking about it. One, it is the best-selling book of all time. Okay? It has been loved and banned by more people than any other book. Understand that. It's on both ends of the spectrum, right? It has been loved by more people than any other book. It has been banned by more people than any other book. There are over 6 billion copies of the Bible currently in print, and that is print Bible. doesn't even count e-Bibles, things on your phone. Who's got one on their phone or their tablet or their iPad, right? So you can add to that. 6 billion, just to put it in perspective, that is 24 times all seven of the Harry Potter books. How, how many Twilight books? Who, who read Harry Potter? Not mad at you. I, I read that. Yep. Okay. All, how many Twilight books are there? Four? Five? Four? I didn't read those. Who's read those? Okay. All right. I'm not going to... Keep... Put your hands down. Or all three? Yeah, you don't know. That's right. You're like, I don't even know what these Fifty Shades books are. I don't even know what they are. Right? Or all three of those. So all seven of the Harry Potters, all four of, of the Twilight series, and all of these Fifty Shades books, and I only picked those because those are the highest-selling book series in the last two decades. You could put the sale of all of those put together, you'd have to multiply it by 24 to get close to where the Bible is in terms of books in print. So no matter what you think about this, we have to at least acknowledge to start with that it's influential and that it matters. But I think we can go beyond that and say that, no, 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 not only that, but we can say this, this is the word of God here, right? 60, this is comprised of 66 books written by 40 authors, written on three different continents. In case you were wondering, North America is not one of them. Christianity does not come from America, right? Asia, Europe, and Africa, written over a span of 1,500 years, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, with some Aramaic thrown in just a boot, thousands of controversial topics, yet somehow written in unity with one consistent message and no contradictions. That's this. That's what we have. So the question is, how do we trust it? How can we know that God really wrote it? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 claims it's true. Now, some of you are going to get mad at me right away. You're like, you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. I know, just relax. We'll get there. But I want you to know what the Bible says about itself. It says here, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaking through him, says this about the Bible. All scripture, that is the Bible that you have in front of you, all scripture is inspired by God. Inspiration by God means that God is the ultimate author. He used humans, but he is the ultimate author. How do we know? We're like, well, but Matt, if human beings write this, human beings are stupid. Human beings make mistakes. Human beings have bents in, in things where they feel this way or that way. How do we know? Well, because if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, then it's not going to include my prejudices. It's not going to include my perspectives other than what God allows me to include. There's nothing that snuck in here that God didn't want. All scripture is inspired by God. That means it's God breathed and it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. When you read the Bible, you will come face to face with realities of things that you read that you're like, oh, my life doesn't make sense here. It doesn't add up. And you will read other things where you say, oh, that's beautiful truth. And I, 
Listen, it'll teach you what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. That's what the word of God says about itself. And some of you are like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But that's like me telling you, I'm sexy. You're like, well, Matt, you can say you're sexy. Can Matt say that on stage? I think we're even recording this. Ah, it's too late. I'm committed. That's like me saying to you, I'm sexy. And so because I said it, it must be true. I think we all know that I might be mistaken. With the exception of Carrie. She doesn't, she can't admit that right now. Um, But here's the thing, right? It's just because I say it doesn't make it true. So you're like, okay, well, so the Bible says that it's the word of God. The Bible says that it's inspired. The Bible says that it's true. Why do we trust that? And I get that. How do we know that this is actually God's word? And some of you, you've bought into this lie. Okay, get over it. I said I was sexy. Just move on. They're over here laughing in the corner. That hurts me. Okay, some of you assume that the Bible is just a book and that the only reason you believe it is because you were born into a house where it was taught, into a community where it was common. And you think if you were born somewhere else or if you were taught something else that you wouldn't. And you think to believe that the Bible is true, you kind of have to just shut your brain off and just take it at face value, just blind faith. I'm going to tell you that faith matters. Something I learned long ago is that nobody is ever going to be able to prove to you 100% that God is real. And nobody is ever going to be able to prove to you 100% that God is not real. In this world, faith matters, right? But here's what I want to say about the Bible. We don't have to shut our brain off to believe that this is the Word of God. There are things that we can know where we understand that this is the Word of God. So I just want to share with you three proofs, right? Three things where the Bible is unequaled in any other religious text. Is it definitive proof? Eh, I think so. For me, it is. Will it be for you? I don't know. You still have to have faith. But the reason I'm going to share these three things with you before we even get into whether Jesus is the only way, because that's a pretty short answer once we know what the Bible says. Once we know that the Bible is right, it's a really short answer to figure out if Jesus is the only way. So I just want to share with you three proofs that matter for me. I hope they matter for you as well. First thing is this. The Bible is, oh man, the Bible is unequaled in accuracy. If I tell you I believe the Bible because it's never been proved true. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to say it right this time. I believe the Bible because it's never been proved false. Right? You would say, well, prove it. I would say, no, I don't have to prove it. You prove how it's wrong. If you're going to tell me that this is not true, then I'm going to say the onus of proof is on you. You find a way to show me that this has been proved wrong, that it's not 100% accurate. And I can say that to you with full confidence because here's what I know. Here's what I know. Through the historical record, through the archaeological record, through all of the evidence that we have, this word of God has never been proved untrue. 
And that matters because if even one little bit in here and what God originally gave us, if even one little bit is wrong, well, that's proof that it didn't come from God. Look what Proverbs 30 says. Every word of God proves true. Do not add to his words or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. Every word of God proves true. If this is his word, then every bit of it will prove true. This is what God tells us. God says, judge my words, judge my book, judge my scripture on whether or not it's true because every word will prove true. If it doesn't prove true, then you're exposed as a liar. And so here's what I would say is the fact that this has never been proved wrong, the fact that you can't bring a charge against this, no one can bring a charge against this to say, ha, here's a way that the Bible is inaccurate. I would say, well, then every word has been proved true. Every once in a while, every once in a while, there are those moments in history where, where um, people that are trying to prove that the Bible isn't true, that they'll feel like they have something like, aha, there is a, a little thing in the Bible that's wrong, therefore God didn't write it, therefore you don't have to trust it. Uh, one of the most recent examples of this is in Daniel 5. In Daniel 5, uh, well, the book of Daniel is, is when Israel is in exile um, in Babylon. And Daniel is a prophet. He's actually raised to a high position in the Babylonian court um, because God is with him and, and, and um, he's intelligent. And so he is one of the high officers in the court, but he's retired now. And we get to Daniel 5, and it's actually the story that unfolds in Daniel 5 is actually the night before the Babylonian empire is overthrown and the Medes and the Persians become the new world power. And so the last king of Babylon in the story is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar sees some weird stuff, and so he wants to know what to, what to make of it. So they say, hey, call Daniel. He'll tell you what to make of it. They bring Daniel into the room, and Daniel tells him what it means. Um, and then later that night, the Medes and Persians storm the city and wipe out the Babylonian Empire, and the Medes and Persians now become the world power. That's historically accurate. We know that happened. The problem is, in all of the historical and archaeological evidence that we had, everything told us that the last king of Babylon wasn't Belshazzar, but it was a guy named Nabodinus. And so, for a long time, what, what you had is you had people that wanted to prove to you this was false that would say, look, the book of Daniel says the last king is Belshazzar. Belshazzar obviously isn't the last king. Nabodinus is the last king. All of the archaeological record that we found tells us that Nabodinus is the last king. He's referred to as the last king. So therefore, the book of Daniel must be fake. It must be wrong. And if the book of Daniel is wrong, then throw it away. The problem is this. It was about, I don't know, 75, 80 years ago somewhere, um, it, Archaeologists are digging, and, and here's what they find. A treasure trove of information that talks about, guess who? Belshazzar. And so here's what was happening. There was tension between Nabodinus and his oldest son, Belshazzar, about who was going to rule. So rather than having a civil war, they came to an agreement, a covenant that they committed to one another. And we find these documents, and we find the seals that, that seal this covenant. Right? And here's what it was. It was the idea that they would both be king. And then Nabodinus would be king of the troops that were out fighting. And so he was out with his armies. And that Belshazzar would be king of the land back home. And so he 
was also king. And so we find this out now, and then all of a sudden we're forced to reconcile. Oh, wait, we thought we had it. We thought we could prove that the Bible was wrong, but we can't. That's going to happen every time we try to prove that Scripture is untrue. No, 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 no. It's unequaled inaccuracy. You're never going to find something that will contradict what this says, even in the smallest details. Not only is it unequaled in accuracy, but get this. It's unequaled in prophecy. There are a lot of religious texts. You know what all of the religious texts from all the different religions are going to give you? They're going to give you three basic things. Here's how life started. Can you prove otherwise? No, you weren't there. Here's how life started. Here's the way you should live your life. And here's how it will end. Here's how everything will come to an end. Those are the three things that all religious texts give you except the Bible. The Bible is going to give you something called prophecy. Prophecy is this prediction about what's going to happen next. The problem with prophecy is that we can be wrong a lot. So you know how the football season's going on? You know how I'm a Bears fan. You know how the Bears are terrible right now. Are we, are we all tracking together? I was convinced that right now the Bears were going to be like 5-1 and one at, at worst. Probably 6-0. and oh. And I was convinced that everybody that was telling me that Mitchell Trubisky was a bad quarterback was going to feel bad about themselves right now. And it turns out that my prophecy was inaccurate. That Mitchell Trubisky is terrible. Um, that Ryan Pace will probably, the general manager, will probably soon be fired. And that even though I'm going to watch it, I'm probably going to wish I hadn't watched the Bears-Chargers game this afternoon. Because I can't tell the future. I can't tell the future. I can make predictions about the future, and sometimes they'll turn out, and sometimes they'll be crazy. Sometimes they'll be completely wrong. But what happens is, when you make a prediction, you actually expose yourself. Because if you're right, hey, good on you. But if you're wrong, then everybody knows you're a fake. And so there's no other religious text that's going to make a prediction except for the Bible. The Bible does it all the time. The Bible is the only religious text that is prophetic about anything other than how everything ends. Because if you're prophetic about how things end, well then, nobody has to worry about that, right? But if you're prophetic about things that are supposed to happen in history, if you're wrong, you'll be proved wrong. And here's the thing about prophecy, it's not okay to be right once. You gotta be right every single time. And if you're not then you expose yourself. Um, nobody talks about the Mayans anymore. You guys remember the Mayans, right? The whole Mayan calendar thing? The world was going to end December 21st, 2012. We were sure of it, right? The Mayans knew. They knew something. The world was going to be at December 21st, 2012. The world was going to end, right? What happened? Well, we got to December 22nd, 2012. Told first service that the best Christmas present we ever bought um, Carrie and I bought my mother-in-law because she was all big on the Mayans and things were going to happen and we didn't know what. And um, So we bought her prophetically, right? Because we knew we were going to be okay. We bought her an I Survived the Mayan Apocalypse t-shirt that she got for Christmas that year. Best gift we ever gave. Um, 
and it's okay. We have a good relationship, so, so it's not like, um, I mean, she probably wouldn't be thrilled with that story, but um, I'll give her five bucks. It'll be fine. But here's the thing. When you make prophecy, you open yourself up. You expose yourself. We're not going to get into any kinds of real significant prophecy except um, to say that do your own research. I tell you all the time, don't believe something just because I told you. Figure it out. Test it out. Check it out. But the Bible has been prophetic over and over and over again, and it's proved to be true over and over and over again. It has never had prophetic words that have failed to come to fruition. And instead, we see it happening over and over and over again. One quick example. It's back in the book of Daniel. In Daniel, um, Daniel gets this prophetic vision from God that he shares. And in this vision, he talks about things that are going to happen that he should have no idea how they're going to happen. Talks about the next four world powers that are going to be coming. Talks about uh, the next world power that's coming after the Babylonian Empire of two kingdoms that decide to come together to, to be one. Right? And then after that, when that one falls by the wayside, it'll be replaced by another, like a cheetah, so fast that this kingdom will come and conquer with such speed and ferocity, the likes of which have never been seen, but that it'll be cut down in its prime. And when it's cut down, that its kingdom will be divided into fourths. But then after that will come another world power like the world has never known or seen that will rule with an iron fist for a great length of time. And Daniel has no idea what he's talking about, but he writes this stuff down, and, and then life goes on. But what happens is now from where we are, we can look backwards and we can know exactly what it was that God was predicting. And it's exactly what happened. In fact, this is the world, right? Medo-Persia. King Cyrus uh, came from there, but, but Medes and Persians come together to form this world power. That hadn't happened yet when Daniel made this prediction. They were still two independent nations the Medes and the Persians. But yet they come together. After that, Greece rises to power with Alexander the Great at the helm and conquers in record time the known world until he gets to India and is pushed back. But cut down in his prime. He dies when he's 33, probably poisoned. Maybe syphilis. But to avoid a civil war, guess what they do? They take the kingdom of Greece and they divide it into fourths and give each to a general. But that can't stand. That can't stand against what's to come with Rome and this new world power that just comes on the stage and is different than anybody has ever seen in ferocity and length and breadth. In fact, this is so accurate that the argument against the book of Daniel for the longest time, up until about 80 years ago, 70 years ago. The argument for the book of Daniel was that there's no way it was written by Daniel. Because they looked at the prophecy of Daniel about these things, and here's what they said. It is way too accurate. Only somebody that knew what was going to happen could have written this. So this was written, they say, the book of Daniel was really written around the time of Jesus when all of that had already happened. But then in 1947, you probably know the story, right? Um, Bedouin shepherd discovers um, a cave outside of Jerusalem that has all of these, what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, guess what? We have prophetic parts of the book of Daniel that are dated back to before these things happen. So all of a sudden, we have incontrovertible evidence that the book of Daniel, with all of this prophecy that's so accurate that they said there's no way it was written beforehand, now we have proof that it was written beforehand. 
The Bible is unequaled in prophecy. There's more. Last one. The Bible's unequaled in standards. If I were writing a Bible, if I were writing a religious text, I would not require that I give, at a minimum, 10% of my income to God. In fact, if I were writing a religious text, I would say something different. If I were writing a religious text, I would not say that I need to love my enemies. Because you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to love my enemies. You know what I kind of want to do? I kind of want to hate my enemies. If I were writing a religious text, I certainly would not tell myself that I better turn the other cheek when somebody makes me mad. I certainly would not say that I should excel in forgiveness. I certainly wouldn't say that I should pursue purity above all else. In fact, if we modeled, if I was writing my own, I would probably model it after some of the ones that were written around the time of of the Old Testament. Hey, we need crops. We need God to send us rain to bless our crops. Here's what we'll do. We'll have a drunken orgy. And then we'll have the drunken orgy. And then, because God likes that, he'll have it rain and we'll have crops. I mean, like, that's in religious texts from that time period. If I were making something up, it would seem more like that, right? Then, love your enemies. Forgive everybody no matter what. Oh, by the way, acknowledge that there's nothing you can ever do to get right with God except follow Jesus, who is a high standard of living. One of the ways that I know that the Bible is true is simply because the standard that it gives us. If you were making something up, I promise you that would not be the standard. So we get to this point where, for me anyway, I look at those three things and I see the Bible is unequaled in accuracy. It's never been proved wrong. It says it's true, and then it's never been proved false. I say I'm right all the time, and I'm always proved wrong. The Bible makes predictions about the future that have never not come true. I make predictions about the future all the time, and they all fall apart. Mitch Trubisky. Guy's terrible. The Bible is unequaled in standards. It's not written by people looking to make it easy for you to follow. It's written by the God of the universe who says, look, I'm holy, so you need to be holy. Certainly not the way I would choose to live if it was all up to me. And so what I can know is I can know that when I look at this Bible, when I read this, I can feel confident using my brain that I don't just believe this because my parents had one in their house. I don't just believe this because I was born in the, in, in the Midwest. But I believe this because other, over and above all other sacred texts, it is proven to be true. And it's proven to be accurate. And so here's what I would say to you when it comes to universalism. Because the Bible can be trusted as authoritative, here's what I know for sure. Christian, all other religions are false. All other ways to God are lies. This is my frustration with Osteen in that video. If he believes that this is the inerrant word of God, then he's just lying to people. And if he doesn't believe that this is the inerrant word of God, then he has no business teaching people. You can't rightly believe that the Bible is true and there are a lot of ways to get to God. You can't believe that because Jesus specifically says, remember I told you, if we believe the Bible's true, this next part's quick. 
right? Because if we believe the Bible is true, Jesus very specifically says, hey guys, I'm it. I'm all there is. John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, know what's going to happen because it's about to get bad. And he says, I'm going away. Really what that means is I'm going to be murdered on a cross. But he says, I'm going away, but it's okay because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then you can come with me and be where I'm going. And Thomas says, whoa, time out, God. Time out, Lord. We don't know where you're going. He says, yes, you do. Thomas says, no, we don't. We don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Talking, Jesus is talking about heaven. So is Thomas. And Thomas is like, look, is there some staircase that you know about that I don't know about? Because I don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, man, Thomas, listen, listen. Yes, you do. And here's what it is. I'm the way. Jesus says, man, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. You want to get to heaven? Jesus says, hey, I am the door. I am the doorway. You want to be right with the God of the universe? You want to spend eternity in heaven? I am the key to salvation. I am the door. You've got to come through me. See, we don't have to linger on the question of universalism. If we believe that the Bible is true, we must necessarily believe that all other religions are wrong. All other religions are wrong because Jesus says, man, it is me. I am the way. I'm not a way. I don't point to the way. I'm not a metaphor for the way. He just says, I am the way. That is about as exclusive as it gets. That's it. But Matt, what about people that are sincere? Listen, it breaks my heart that people that sincerely think they're right will end up in hell. And that's why we have work to do, people. That's why we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we give generously. That is why we do what we do, because it matters, because sincerity is not enough. It breaks my heart, but it's true. Jesus is on the way. That means no Krishna, no Buddha, no Muhammad, no Allah, no reincarnation, no big ball of energy that we come from that we'll all be returning to when we die. No. Jesus says it pretty clearly. So if we believe the Bible is true, then we must believe this with all of our heart. Jesus says, I am the way. That means even the Jewish understanding of God separate from Jesus is not satisfactory. In fact, here's what Peter says to the Jewish leaders in the book of Acts. He says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name. No questions asked. It is Jesus. Jesus says, I'm exclusive. Now, the weird thing about Jesus' exclusivity is this. Praise team, come on up. Prepare to close this out. The weird thing about Jesus' exclusivity is this. He says, I am exclusively the way. But then he says, everybody's invited. Right? Get that? It's like, if you want to get in here, you need to do this 
thing. But if you do this thing, everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. It's got to be through Jesus, but everybody's invited. I would say this, if, if Jesus is the door, then belief is the key. And we get to this point where, where Jesus says, look, I'm the way. And then the question is on us, do we believe that? If we do, then we need to make a decision similar to what Sierra Marzen has made. I showed you the picture of her baptism. She made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Is she going to do it perfectly? No. No, she's going to make mistakes. But she's committing to follow Jesus, and she says, I believe that Jesus is the way, and I want everybody to know it. Some of you here might need to make that decision. You might need to make the decision that you are ready to follow Jesus. I would say, look, listen, if Jesus is the door, then belief is the key. If that's you this morning, then I would invite you we're singing this last song, come up and talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's do whatever. We can get baptized if you want. We got it right over here. We'll just jump right in. No big deal. Okay? But it's, these are decisions that we need to make. If the Bible is right, and I believe it is, and I think there's evidence for that. If the Bible is right, then we clearly understand that Jesus is the only way. We sang it, right? What can wash away my sin? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why we sang that medley. I'm going to pray, and the praise team is going to close us out. But again, the invitation is open. Come on up. If you need to do business with God, let's do that today. If Jesus is the door, then belief is the key. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you that we have your word, which we can trust because it's accurate, because it's prophetic, and it's true. And we understand that you have given us a high standard for living that we can't meet on our own, but that we can meet through belief in Christ. Father, we love you and we just thank you. We, we ask that you help ingrain in our hearts the seriousness of the exclusivity of the gospel and that we would unashamedly say true things to people that need to know about Jesus. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.